0: Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. And that's from Dr. Myesha Clairborne's TEDx. I want to welcome you back to season nine of the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, where we cover the science based evidence behind social and emotional learning for schools and emotional intelligence training in the workplace with tools, ideas, and strategies that we can all use for immediate results with our brain in mind. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning. And launch this podcast to share how the understanding of our complex brain transfers into our everyday life and results. And each concept we cover here, I'm hoping will help you wherever you might be listening to this podcast in the world, just as much as these ideas are helping me personally and professionally. For today's episode, number 289, we're meeting with Dr. Myesha Claiborne, an author a TEDx speaker. She's also a podcast host of the Black Mind Garden podcast. She's a master practitioner of NLP and hypnosis and timeline therapy. I don't think I need to explain why I wanted to speak with Dr. Claiborne. When you click on the first page of her website and she has the words educate, empower, enrich, and elevate all in bold letters on the first page, she lives what she teaches. As these words come to my mind when I looked at her picture on the front page of our press kit, and I wondered where I would even begin with the questions I want to ask her. It was funny because she had some suggested topics included when we first met each other, and as I read through them, I thought, I want to know all of these topics. So that's where we'll begin. Let's welcome Dr. Myesha Claiborne and see what we'll learn together to elevate and empower us to all new heights of leadership. Welcome Dr. Maisha Claiborne. Thank you so much for making my life easier as a podcast host with all the questions that you sent over. And I wasn't kidding in the backstory that I want to know everything that you've suggested for us to talk about. So welcome today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for this conversation
0: i know and look we we're matching so we, i
1: know and we did even do that on purpose that's no. the amount of rapport that we already have
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding when i saw your the, the the note that came in to me i just lit up because you know you you're talking about everything on your website that is congruent to what i'm talking about on the podcast like educate empower lift us all up um so this is this is going to be exciting
1: Yes, indeed.
0: So can you start out with a little bit of background for our listeners uh, that takes us to where you are today and maybe, you know, catching them up with why I'm so excited to have you here. And you talk about educating, empowering, enriching, elevating others, and that tells a lot about who you are. Can Mm -hmm. you just explain the path to where you got to where you're doing this right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. Um, so I'll I'll start by saying my background training is in medicine. So I'm a family doctor by training. Um, but I also and, and this is something I recently discovered is that I'm a teacher by heart. Like yeah. I like I am a, an educator. Yep. Um, but I never would have thought that growing up, right? I was I'm I'm the classic tested introvert and uh, you know I like being alone, and I, you know, I was a loner in high school, but i I've come to learn that where I light up the most when I am seeing the 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 light bulb come on. So, as a physician, when I was in practice, that was a lot of what I did. And what one of the reasons I went into integrative medicine as a as a family doc was because I got to sit with the patients more and really educate and talk to them about their health and really empower them to take, like be at the source of their health and their well-being and that's what lit me up. And what I found was that a lot of what I was running into was mindset. Like what the what the patient didn't believe that they could do around their diet or patients beliefs around what healthy eating had to be and I spent a lot of time in my practice belief breaking. Right. And, and having a psychology undergraduate major, a psychology background, cause I'm always like, I was always been fascinated with why people do the things that they do. Like yes. why, what's the yes. underlying motivation, you know?
0: Gosh, yes, this is my language. Yes,
1: yes. And so that's, so that's what lit me up about being with patients. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the medicine is great. The, the, you know, the integrated, the holistic part of it was really great. I did some acupuncture, but the thing that always lit me up was like, you know, educating patients and then seeing them come back to the next visit and be like, oh my God, I tried this and it was great. And, and and having it make a difference. Right. So I think at the core of me, like I've always been that way. And then I have just transposed that throughout my career transitions. I'm on, I always joke, I'm on like career four and I'm not even 50 yet. You
0: know? <laughs> awesome. awesome. I love it. This is, this is so cool. And, and so Reading through some of the things that you've done, I've got to ask cuz I'm a full believer in hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Like for, you know, getting rid of neck pain. Who would have known like this doctor, I w- I went to a, hi- a hypnosis person here and, you know, they taught me how to say a word and took me back and and did some unblocking stuff with my mind and because the chiropractor just didn't work. Mm -hmm. But then it's weird that I say this weird phrase that he set up for me. I put my hand sometimes where it hurts and the pain goes away. I, I do it if I'm about to present. So I believe in that. Can you talk a little bit about hypnosis, why that's successful? And what is timeline therapy? I've never heard of that.
1: Well, so I'll start with hypnosis, and then we'll move into timeline therapy. Sure. So, um, you know hip the ninety percent of what runs us is the unconscious mind right so the unconscious mind is responsible we we talk about the conscious versus the unconscious mind and i like to create this sort of metaphor when i talk about the unconscious mind so our conscious mind is all the things and you know this i'm just you know not telling you anything you don't know but just for the audience right yeah. the 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 conscious mind is all the things you're aware of so like the it's the trying it's like the figuring it out it's all of the things that you're consciously you know aware of doing above the surface but when you get into the unconscious mind, it's that part of the, if you think about an iceberg, you can see the tip of the iceberg above the water. You look down in the water, you can see a little bit of the iceberg there. And some people may say that's like subconscious, you know, it's close to the surface. But then there's like the whole part of the iceberg that you can't see that goes all the way to the bottom the depths of the ocean. And of course, that's the part of the tit- the, the part of the iceberg that sunk the Titanic, right? Uh yeah. And so it's the, it's the, but it's the, it's the 90% that runs us. It runs our body. It, it's, it like motivates our decisions. It's where our values are. And so when we talk about healing, a lot of times, like in medicine, in the traditional, or I should say in the Western style of medicine, a lot of the healing is conscious healing. It's conscious, you know, like take a medication for this or try this, diet or try this eating plan or do some exercise. That's all conscious phenomenon. But then there are things below the surface. There are blocks below the surface that could be keeping us tense or that could be keeping us stressed, which causes inflammation in the body, which you know, so the all of the types of things that are unconsciously held that can make us uneasy or have us have disease, right? Disease, disease. Yeah. So what hypnosis does is it actually takes us and reconnects the conscious with the unconscious mind. So like you said, you say a word and that communicates the unconscious mind for the body to do what the body does to relax itself or to make the pain go away. And, and that's a works. lot of what hypnosis is about. Yeah. And it's all it is, is, you know, hypnosis is the process of entering trance, mm-hmm. a very focused state of mind. And everyone, I always say everyone has been in trance. Right. Um, if you've if you've heard of trance in dental meditation, (laughs) right? Uh, It's it's right of the name, right? If you've Uh. ever been like driving down the road or even if you're running, if you're people who are runners, I'm not a runner, but people who are runners who go into that zone, or if you exercise and you go into that zone, that's a form of trance. You know, if you're driving down the road and you're deep in thought and you look up and you're like, wait, I don't remember making all the turns to get to where I am. That's trance. And so what a hypnotherapist does is uh, is they assist you into this trance so that you can release whatever you need to release. If it's like negative emotions or it's deep beliefs, you can release those. And then we can actually reframe and replace those with more empowering thoughts.
0: I I didn't know that's how it worked. I just knew it worked and I believe in it. So thank Mm -hmm. you for that explanation. And then what about timeline therapy? What is that?
1: So timeline therapy is a, it's an evolution of neuro-linguistic programming. And um, for those who are unfamiliar with NLP or neuro-linguistic programming, it's the way we use our words. So I'll, I'll backtrack a little. We think in pictures and we encode that into words, Right, our brain encodes that in the words, which we speak. And that's part of our communication. Of course, words are only 7% of communication and the 93% is everything else. So we think in pictures, but we use words that, to encode it. Now, when I'm talking to you and, and the words that I'm saying form some type of picture first in the brain, and then you encode that and you know it, it allows for you to process and respond to me. So neurolinguistic programming is how we use the words that we use to create the pictures in our mind that we create. Um, case in point, we were talking about was having a conversation with in a room, uh, a clubhouse room where we were talking about mindfulness and uh, self-awareness, and we were talking a bit about trauma. And um, the word that people sometimes use for activation, I use activation, some people use as trigger. And so they say, well, this when a person is triggered or I'm triggered. But I tend to use the word activation. So when you think about, and this is one of the things that got taught in the room that day, is people ask, well, why do you use the word activation versus triggered? It's because of the internal picture that that word can bring to the mind of some people, especially people who have trauma around gun violence. And so. What, I say that to say that in neuro-linguistic programming, we are very mindful of how we use words because of the pictures that they create in people's minds. Okay. And because everyone holds a different mental model of words in their brain. Then with neuro-linguistic programming, we can utilize that and leverage that to help to empower people by the way we use words, shifting the kinds of pictures that they have in their brain, shifting the way that that helps their body feel and and helping and assisting in the process of change internally and um, externally in people's lives.
0: So interesting. So timeline therapy is an extension of NLP?
1: It's an extension of that. That allows for emotional release, deep emotional release. And so w- w- going back to trauma, because this is a trauma informed process, helps people to really release like um stuck negative emotions like anger, like sadness, like fear, hurt, guilt, shame at the roots, and also is a deep release of belief a belief release process. So those like, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, like those types of beliefs that people held that maybe they inherited or maybe they were taught at a very young age, this process helps people to release those beliefs and those negative emotions associated with them, but like at the root.
0: So I got to skip to my affirmation question here. So I, I put it kind of near the end so i put it question eight but i gotta go to it now and i'll skip back up there but it's been a few years since i used affirmations but from what i'm hearing there's a better way and i'm hoping there is because you know i i knew in my early like my late 20s that i moved to the u.s and and i i was scared you know, new country, you know, what am I doing? All these fears and all these things you just said, we're all stuck. Mm -hmm. And so I had an affirmation that was created that I was to say every day until I believed it. And it took a few months until now I say it and I completely believe it. Uh, I'm 52 now. And so, you know, hopefully I I got these things over the years, but what is a better way than saying these affirmations that in the beginning you're like, I don't believe this.
1: Yeah. It really is getting to the root of the belief itself. You know, affirmations are great reminders, but when there's that unconscious block, you know, like you said, you say it until you believe it, it takes a very long time for you to believe it. Whereas if you go to the source of the belief and I, and we always and i always ask like when was the very first time that came up that fear or that or whatever the belief that was there then you can go and relook at that you can look at that from different angles and you can recontextualize it so for example you know maybe something that happened when you were 5 and it could be something small like maybe it was a you were playing with friends and something happened and you got embarrassed or maybe you went to a new school and it felt very lonely, right? Something that happened at five looks very different for a five-year-old than for a 45-year-old. So in timeline therapy, a lot of what we do is we take people back to that on their timeline and have them go into different positions to see this event. And they can take new learnings. Like, oh, you know, I, I realized just from this view that I actually wasn't alone, that I'm not alone. That I am a strong person. That I am a survivor. That I am. That I do have a great personality. That I do make friends easily. You know, like these types of learnings come when you're a grown person and you're traveling back to that root cause. Or I am lovable. Or I am worth friendships. You know, those types of they automatically come. And so, what that assists us in doing is then seeing that whole, that the root of that negative emotion or that root of that limiting decision, we call it, and releasing that. And what happens is when you release it at the root, then all of the evidence that you were building over time for that to be true falls away like a string of pearls. And so then at that point, if you want to do an affirmation, you're more likely to, to believe it much quicker because you've released the root of the belief.
0: Okay. This is powerful. Have you ever heard of NET therapy? So neuro-emotional therapy, Um, it's just how you're describing it. It's the same as timeline therapy. So, Mm -hmm. so you go to a chiropractor who's trained in what, and we have it here in Arizona called NET therapy. And and the same thing you've got a, a problem that's going on you know whatever is hurting in your body he fixes that and then he checks your emotional side and then he says it's got nothing to do with whatever the problem is today it's yeah. always let's go back and and then they do it with kinesiology like arm testing
1: yes i knew that i was like I sounded it's very familiar the kinesiology te- yes i've heard that so mm-hmm. the,
0: the same kind of idea but it's interesting that once you figure out when you first felt that it has nothing to do with the problem. Like you don't discuss like, Oh, what's bothering you today has nothing to do with that. The minute Mm -hmm. you find out where it first happened Mm -hmm. and then you forgive that. And you're like, ah, got it. Mm -hmm. Like you said, a string of pearls, it Mm -hmm. breaks it and you're fixed. And it could be something you're struggling with on such a deep level. It's Mm -hmm. gone.
1: Isn't that amazing? It is. It's very powerful. And what it speaks to is how powerful the unconscious mind is, because even like the the net therapy, I mean, all of this is evolved out of the unco- the power of the unconscious mind. Right. Yeah, oh, That's really good. So
0: I love that you have some tips for improving our relationships in the workplace, because it's not always like, Peaches and cream. What would you say would be some common workplace problems that you typically see, and how would you suggest solving them? Just some common ones.
1: Yeah, I think the most common one, the the the, like the most common ones, surround miscommunications, right? So you have the miscommunication of people just, you know, people, someone saying something to someone, and someone else taking it the wrong way, if you will. Like I put my air quotes up for those who are listening and not seeing you know, the, the quote unquote wrong way. And and usually these missed communications are due to the fact that people don't understand that they're talking through filters and people are listening through filters, <laughs> right? right? And so it's the foundation of a lot of what I speak about when I do introductory talks and things of that na- nature with organizations. Is the fact that we all have these different um, filters that we listen through and we speak through, and so communication is the most common problem that I see. Whether it's you know someone thinks someone is overreacting acting to something, or you know there's a there's maybe some type of bias that's that's being spoken. You know that's very common. Uh, whether there is you know. Some type of sexist comment being made. We, we see that a lot. Um, whether there is a, a fear of, of um going for a promotion because maybe either they've been told or maybe they have never, they don't have the language to know how to ask for promotions. So with communication mishaps, here's what I say: number one, we have to. We do have to understand that we listen through filters and we speak through filters. And the moment people get that, just just that one point, it opens up a whole world of, oh, maybe you're not hearing what I'm saying. Or maybe I'm not saying what I think I'm saying. Or maybe let me put myself in someone else's shoes to think to 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 hear what they might be hearing that I'm saying, right? It just opens up a new awareness when we're willing to see are willing to understand that not everybody uh hears things the way we hear things and and say things yep. right so that's i think the f- first foundational thing that people can really get and then there is um a technique or an exercise that I like to use and you I think you allude to it in one of your questions that's so the perception I'll... one yes the... I was,
0: was going to go skip number two and go straight there because absolutely (laughs) um because always when there's conflict with somebody if you put yourself in someone else's shoes it's a whole other world and i know Mm -hmm. perception it's it's seeing things beyond the five senses right now we're going Mm -hmm. into our faculties of our mind for this Mm -hmm. and i saw it in your ted talk and i thought i've got to ask you about this because you took it to a whole new level I'm used to just going into someone else's shoes and going, what do they see that I'm missing?
1: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
0: What what did I miss with that? Tell me your exercise. Cause you talk about many different views and perception.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I call it for when, you know, it's called perceptual positions in, in the NLP world. What I like to call it is the three positions of listening so that it makes it more relatable to people when I, when I talk in organizations, when I talk on stages, but so the three position of listen the of positions of listening is you're you know you're in first of all you're in your body you're looking through your own eyes maybe you're going back to that time when you're um having this conflict or maybe you're in the conflict right now and you're you know you're in your body this is position number one looking through your own eyes then you can step into position number two and it's interesting I was doing a I'm gonna tell say the whole thing but I, I was doing a um a half day workshop just yesterday from the day that we're recording. And uh, someone asked the question, can you do this in the moment? So I'll speak to that in a moment. Can you do this while you're actually in conflict? And I say, yes, but it takes practice. It takes awareness. It takes intention. Because
0: you're in the emotion of it. It's hard to step into someone's
1: shoes when you're still in feeling the it. Yourself, right. That's right. So then you step into, so then you step, but you, what you have to do first is before you step into someone else's shoes, you have to step out of position number one. Right. Because if so, yeah, take that step back and you say, okay, let me go over here to position number two and step into their body, looking through their own eyes, seeing what they're seeing, hearing what they're hearing, and feeling the feelings they might be feeling. Right. And then you have to step out of position number two. And the third position, perhaps one of the most valuable positions, is the observer perspective. So you can fly up one above the two in your mind as if you're a fly on the wall. And you're looking down. It's like you're looking down on position number one and number two. And then what can, happens is you can see the entire dynamic. You can see the bigger picture. And it's very valuable. Now, what I found is when I've shared this with people, some people find it more e- easier to step into position number two. And some people actually find it easier to step into position number three first. It really doesn't matter which position you go into first. The point is to get out of your own view and to take another view and to take both other views because each view is valuable. The big picture is valuable. And the second position, the position through the other person's eyes is also valuable. And at the very end, you come back into your own view and notice what's different about that view. It's a very powerful exercise.
0: It really is. I think any conflict can be solved that way because you, you understand
1: something from a different point of view. Yeah. And, and, you know, what I say is that perhaps the conflict in the moment may not be solved, but what it does is it opens up the conversation for resolution. So some people think, you know, it is like sort of this magic conflict resolution tool. And in some cases it does resolve the conflict immediately, but in some cases, you know, it the the people, two people may not agree, period. But what it does is it does open up the, the conversation for, okay, this dynamic is not working. This interaction right now is not working. So now how can we both take a step back so that we can communicate in ways that are not harmful to each other, right? And in that way, you can move towards a common value or a common goal. And that that's sort of like a way of resolution, even if you don't agree on the actual thing. That you're talking about?
0: No, I love it. I love it, and and that that's something that now I'm going to use that the observer point moving forward because I I saw it in your TED talk and it lit up for me because I I love perception and seeing things from someone else's point of view, but I never thought of going above and seeing the big picture. So that this is very helpful.
1: Yeah, I'm glad. Thank you.
0: And so number two, uh, my question for you, we've already kind of talked about it's getting to the root of our doubts and fears. I think we really dove into that with your timeline therapy, hypnosis. I think you gave a full explanation. Did, did you have anything else to say on, you know, really using that to become better versions of ourselves? Like, you know, just moving forward in our lives, we all, th- they come up all the time for me, at least mm-hmm. and I see it with Friends of mine, you know, they say, you know, I'd really like to do this, but I have these doubts and fears, you know, how do, how do we keep improving ourselves with this awareness?
1: I think the awareness that, you know, for, I don't know if you've seen Shrek. Um, oh, <laughs> I haven't the, seen Shrek. Oh, okay. So it's, a, it's the animated, the animated cartoon that um it talks about like us being onions, you know, uh-huh. layers are coming in layers, right? We come in layers and um, we, when we heal one layer, we peel back another, and there's there's always more layers to heal. And I think when we understand that personal development is sort of this mountain with no top, and to be in acceptance of that, that we understand that we you know we may uh, heal one belief, one limiting belief, and then there may be more underneath that. Uh, And so that's why these processes are powerful because they can peel back those layers of, uh, you know, of trauma, of, of hurt, of pain, and you release those. And then, you know, if something else comes up from the surface, when the unconscious mind is ready to resolve it, because that's what happens when the unconscious mind is ready to resolve that, that pain or ready to resolve that belief, you know, the unconscious mind wants to protect us. That's why it keeps us breathing when we sleep. <laughs> that's why it keeps our heart beating when we when we're not thinking about it because it wants us to thrive and so when we release really, when we when things come up for us um when we're in those stuck places it really means that our our unconscious mind is ready for us to resolve it uh, but we have to understand that when when we you know let go of one thing it it Something else will heal the, you know, will will come up for us that that's ready to be healed as well. So I think that's the only other thing I want to say about it is that we are layered beings, and um, we have to be patient and compassionate with ourselves when we go through these processes and not expect um, one and done perfection.
0: For sure, this is helpful, and and it kind of goes to uh, my thoughts about beliefs. So. Um, just thinking, uh, I take myself back to the late '90s with some of my beliefs around diet and exercise. Mm. I, I would never have eaten butter in the late in the '90s. It would have been like on the table. I'd be like, "No, butter makes you fat." That was my belief. I really believed it. And we learned how fat calories were like nine times more than regular calories. And right. Cross it off. I'm not right. ever eating butter, and now I eat fat and I don't think I am fat, but I eat fat. And, and that was a belief change. Like I remember the first time putting butter on something and thinking, what's going to happen to me? (laughs) And nothing did. I've trusted in this (laughs) trainer that was using butter as energy. And and it was a huge belief change for me. And so we talk about paradigms and changing paradigms, you know, um, what do you think we should all know about changing our beliefs over time? You know, not getting stuck
1: in some old beliefs. Well, I, I think what's important to understand is that a lot of the beliefs we have are not even ours in the first place. Ooh. A lot of these beliefs are inherited. We we inherit beliefs like when we're, we're when we are from that zero to seven, zero to ten period. We're like little sponges, and we just absorb all the beliefs in our environment from our parents from our siblings from our you know family members from our the educators in our lives we're just absorbing beliefs from society you know we're just absorbing these beliefs and it doesn't end when then cuz then you have like our socialization period you know when we come to be in that that teenage years and our young adult and then the news is always telling us stuff and you know the the media is always telling us stuff like it told us about fat and sugar, yeah, right. sugar, you know, sugar was fine, but fat was bad. But then <laughs> it comes to find out that actually fat is good for the brain. Uh, you know it's good for the brain good exactly. for the brain. And sugar, on the other hand, that causes inflammation. It pr- contributes to heart disease because it causes inflammation in the in the blood vessels. And it's it's actually worse than fat right right <laughs> it's crazy and so just understanding that a lot of the beliefs that that we adopt are initially inherited and they're all changeable if we want to change them but we have to want to change them right we can't force others to change their beliefs you know so that's that's a, another thing
0: oh yeah you could not get me to eat butter if you could- right. If you told me it was good for me, I wouldn't believe you. There's no way It took time. It took, you know, hearing it from somebody I trusted Mm -hmm. testing it out myself. Right. Yeah. They're right. I'm changing that belief, but there's no way anyone could have changed my belief. No way.
1: It's interesting. As we talk about food, um, when I was a, when I was still working in, um, clinical medicine, a lot of the conversations I had and I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, so I'm in the Southeast region. And um, we, you know, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. So in the South, we grew up eating very rich food. We, we ate lots of butter, (laughs) butter is so good. (laughs) And, um, and so a lot of the, the belief breaking that I did was around healthy eating, being bland or boring, right. Or, healthy, uh, or like healthy food only being salads. Yeah. And, no and broccoli. So, yeah, broccoli and salads and, and with no, like with no butter right. or no seasoning. And, and it couldn't be further from the truth. And so it was very fun to be able to give people these recipes that would make their food that they're used to eating. Like say, if it was, you know, greens or whether if it was, um, you know, chicken or if it was, you know, like instead of fried, maybe baked. If it was, you know, pork chops, maybe like in the oven rather than fried pork chops, you know, like things of that nature, like how to make them healthier, you know, instead of using, you know, butter, maybe using a spread. Yeah. So the, these types of things. And um and then just by them being willing, because you know, people have to be willing to believe something else then and also even like I'll I'll give an example um I'm in the yoga community here and uh we had a potluck and so like when you go to people's potlucks and you taste things that you think are decadent which there were brownies and I love chocolate
0: me
1: too they were were actually black bean brownies and I ate the brownies in the brownie mix something that you don't expect right yeah Right. And so I ate these brownies that were made from black beans and I didn't know that they were black bean brownies. And one of my my yoga instructors was like, oh, yeah, I made those Those are black bean brownies and they were delicious. They taste like the regular flour, fatty brownies, but they were healthy. And so when I could tell that story. So I use metaphor a lot of times to belief break. Like we talk about belief breaking. How do you release? Uh, or loosen the the grip on people's beliefs is by storytelling and 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 so just to your point about food is that when we're willing to try new things whether it's in the realm of eating or whether it's in the realm of exercise or whether it's in the realm of our career then that's that's assist us in shifting belief as well
0: really deep. And I'm loving every second of it. And and I want to go now to resistance. So because you're saying you got to want to do something mm-hmm. different. Well, what if I'm resisting when someone says, try it this way, and I want to try something new, but mm-hmm. it's kind of far off from what I know I'm used to doing? How can mm-hmm. we better navigate resistance so we can grow and get new ideas?
1: I think what, what we have to do when we come upon resistance and I'll speak about when we come on in ourselves and when we come with others as well, uh, because I'm a parent. And so oftentimes resistance is the everywhere, (laughs) you know, that my son is like, no, and I don't want (laughs) to, how old is your son? He's eight, he's eight. Yeah. So he's in that, that autonomy stage, like this morning, uh, (laughs) he was like i said delson did you eat breakfast i'm not hungry yep. and and every fiber in my being i'm a parent that grew grows up in the in the world of breakfast is the most important meal of the day and so every fiber of my being wanted to say eat breakfast but i just said you know what he's not going to starve by not eating breakfast he wants he wants agency yeah. so i said all right time to get in the car and go That's so funny. the The resistance, right? So, when we really understand what's behind the resistance, so when you're resisting something and you're, and you're, and it's often useful to talk this out with someone as well, because a lot of times we try to figure it out in our head, but we have these blind spots, right? We have all of these blind spots. And so we can't always figure it out alone. And I think that's probably one of the most important things that if if my if if the audience takes away anything it's like t- t- we need to do this work in community and with other people because we can't figure it out on our own like if left to our own devices good luck <laughs> right so whenever you have resistance the investigation or the curiosity is why what is it that's having me resist is it some fear um, and if there is fear, what is the fear specifically of, right? What is it of, specifically about? And and keep digging into that why. And then of course, it's like, when's the very first time that that happened, right? Because once you get to the, what it actually is, what the fear is, and what's the, when's the first time you had that fear and what was going on during that time and how have things changed since then, you know? And so um that's what I recommend in terms of resistance. and And if we're working with someone else, if we're talking with someone else, we want to think about what what could be the root of their resistance and ask them, like, okay, I, I sense some when I coach my clients and i I get this, you know, of course, clients come to me to be pushed outside of their comfort zone. So that's what I'm always doing is pushing them outside of their comfort zone, you know, with what they say they want in their life. And so when I come up on, some really big resistance. There's always going to be a little resistance. But when I come up on some big resistance, we stop and we say, okay, now where's that coming from? What's what's behind that? What are you afraid you're that's gonna happen or not happen? You know? And that's kind of how I navigate resistance is really getting to the root of it. You know, one of the reasons I went into family medicine was because there's a lot of root cause talk. And one of the reasons that I transitioned in family medicine to holistic or to integrative medicine is because a lot of what we deal with is getting to the root cause of disease. And it's no different in the work that I do now, in 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 the mind healing work that I do now, is what is the root cause? Right.
0: I can see how when you're working with a client, you've got so much more with your medical background because you can draw on that first, and then bring the mind to it. So it's a complete package of, of how you would heal, heal somebody that's special or unique that that most people don't have, you know, I'm used to dealing with people that just know the mind um, without the medical background. So I think that's what, when I saw, Oh my goodness, she was a medical doctor Mm -hmm. and then she came here. And so you've got a big picture that comes out. It's, that's what that's
1: the power of what you've got here, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it is um i I don't often you know when you think about when I think about the work that I do, I just do the work and it's it's not often I think about all that all that I'm bringing into it, you know the psychology background and the medical background and then this additional training and and I'm always always expanding myself and training, which is why I do the work in trauma because I feel like there's a lot that we don't talk about that in, that the trauma has influenced us you know different different traumas that have influenced us
0: everybody is talking through everybody has
1: 100% 100% That's,
0: so let's talk a little bit about goal setting and what you think is broken what parts specifically of how we've probably all been taught goal setting, you know the smart goal setting is. <laughs> can you can you tell me what part is broken and a better way to set our goals?
1: Well, I think you know, I I I might not um, classify it totally as broken because I think there's something to smart goals. What I think happens is when we set goals, we we are we're not setting smart goals. We set goals without there that, that are very non-specific. You know, we're just, we're taught to be like, all right, set this goal sometime in the future. You know, this is what I want, but we're not very specific about it. So if I say, oh, I want more money. Well, you know, like one cent is probably more money than you had. Like $1 is more money. And and then I think the other piece around goals is sometimes we set goals based on what other people are expecting us to do, not based on our own values and what's meaningful to us. And, and, the, and then the other piece is sometimes we set goals that are what we call away from goals. So I don't want to be doing this anymore. Like I don't want to be at this job by this time. That's my goal. But the unconscious mind doesn't recognize the negative, yeah. right? And when you are focused on what you don't want, you're turn, your back is turned to what you do want. And a lot of times people don't know what they want.
0: Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: This huge exercise I learned exactly with that. Maybe let's just say more than 10 years ago, I was working at a desk job in a cubicle and Mm -hmm. I I couldn't stand it. It was like I was confined in this cubicle. And as all I could think about was this isn't working for me on many Mm -hmm. levels. Like I I needed to be exercising outside at, at lunch in order to sit in this environment. It it was stifling to me. And I had someone take me through an exercise of write out all the things I did want in my work environment, because I could only see what I didn't want. And it was powerful just on the other side of the paper, write Well, I'd like to work from home so that I could exercise early morning. I don't mind sitting at a desk for 12, 15 hours, as long as I can get exercise in there, but don't enclose me in walls, right? It was high walls up high. I couldn't breathe. It was stifling. Mm-hmm. So that exercise, just what you said, you've got to be able to see what you do want, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about SMART goals, so and when I do my trainings with my, my NLP coach trainings, where we talk about, we talk about SMART goals and we go through the SMART acronym. And it's a little bit different from it's a little bit nuanced, it's not different, but it's a little nuanced from like the traditional smart goals specific, measurable, achievable, um realistic and timed, right so okay. the general is there, but we adds we nuance a little bit so the s is specific, but it's also simple because a lot of times we comp we do goals in compound sentences well, I want this and this and this and I want this and this and this and this and this and, this and the and the unconscious mind is like, blah. <laughs>
0: Right. It's like what? my writing. I, I I
1: never end. I'm like, right. the end of this? <laughs> or like you have this like narrative. Like I've seen people. They have it's one goal, but it's like this long superfluous narrative of the one goal. It's like make it simple, right? And then the M is measurable. So simple and simple sp- specific and measurable go together. And then the the other M for measure for uh, the other m is meaningful meaningful to you right so this goes to this this goes into this not setting a goal that is um for someone else because setting a goal for someone else is not sustainable right and if it's not completely meaningful to you or based on what society says or based on what you think you should do, right? These are not reasons to set goals, right? What's meaningful to you. And then the A, which most people say um, achievable, we add in there actionable, right? So actionable goals. Um, The the distinction here is um, you have to actually take action in order to get the goal, yeah, right. rather than just being passive, sitting on a couch, waiting for something to fall in your lap.
0: Huge action.
1: Right. I'm going to win the lottery. <laughs> That's not a goal. <laughs> That's not actionable. <laughs>
0: it's really funny because I was actually at, a, I, I used to work for a speaker um back in the late nineties and I was at an event and he was talking about all of this, taking action. And someone did raise their hand and say, what, what do you think about winning the lottery? He said, exactly. <laughs> like this was real really something he said he's like yeah no that's
1: that's not what i'm talking about here right? that's not a goal for no. I me mean, you know um and then responsible so realistic responsible is the second r inside of the smart and responsible just means like how's it going to impact other areas of your life right ecological how does it impact other areas of your life and can you live with that impact, right? How is it going to impact other people's lives? And can you live with that impact? So responsible. And then timed, but also toward, toward what you want, as we talked about earlier. So that's the nuance of SMART goals. And I think a lot of times when we start to really look at, you know, we talk we talk about in my trainings, the keys to achievable outcomes. One of those is, you know, what do you want specifically? Where do you have now? And then what, how do you know when you will get, when you have what you want? What does it look like? What will you see, hear, feel, smell, taste when you have what you want? And I think that's a step that can be missing when we're setting goals is that if we don't know specifically what we want, you know, we, then we will give mixed signals to the unconscious mind and the unconscious mind won't know what to look for That's a match for of that particular goal
0: right the whole end seeing with the end in mind and mm-hmm. visualize exactly. everything exactly. like what what it looks like what do you hear that's powerful um an activity of writing out what it looks like
1: at the end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely
0: and then this takes me to um finding the balance between celebrating your wins and staying focused because let's just say you know, you get, you get a small win along the way. I'm always talking about the importance of integrating those wins. And sometimes I forget myself, like, wow, look how far we've come with the podcast. Even, you know, we're almost at episode 300. I've almost done this like 300 times.
1: Congratulations. That's amazing.
0: Thank thank you. (laughs) I know you you do podcasting too, right? So, so, you know, that's why your questions were so thorough for me, (laughs) but um. How, what do you think we should know about, you know, celebrating where we are, but also staying focused because we can't celebrate too long?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the the good thing is when we have a goal and um, we're always moving toward that goal, I think probably more of the problem that people have is celebrating the small wins than anything else, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's very important to set mile markers on which you'll celebrate on the way to the goal. And actually intentionally set those. Like, you know, if the goal is a certain amount of income, say maybe the goal your business is to, to make, I don't know, $300,000 dollars. And you say, okay, when I make my first fifty thousand dollars, I'm going to do this for myself. Maybe it's go get a massage. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a woman, so I'm, I'm talking about massages and <laughs> nails and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Maybe it's the, or maybe it's the, if it's a, if you're a guy, it's you know, go. I'm gonna go treat myself to a, a couple of rounds of golf with the buddies, or you know, whatever. The, go on a boys' trip when I make my first two hundred thousand. You know, I'm gonna go on a boys' trip or whatever. You know, take the family on vacation. Set these mile markers for yourself. And and so that you you are celebrating, you're intentionally celebrating, but you still have the goal in mind. I think the other thing though is when we reach that goal, oftentimes we reach the goal and we're like, ha, ah, plant our flag. I have arrived. Right. <laughs> right. And when never, we think about never the end. Right, never the end. And so it's like, okay, celebrate the goal when you reach the goal. And then like look to the future like oh what's the next level that i can i can impact that I can that i can make a meaningful difference but you still do want to stop and celebrate and enjoy and it, you know there is that balance like you said that you want to celebrate and enjoy and 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 allow yourself to be acknowledged and celebrated by others and then you're looking to okay what's the next level of impact that i want to make and if you think of it that way then it doesn't it's just if not, it's not just some driven meaningless goal right so that's that's sort of my take on you know the balance between celebration and staying focused
0: so now we're coming up for the hour mark and and I could stay here all morning with you this is fascinating i could just keep asking you questions and add on some more from what you're saying here this is I, i'm loving every second of this uh. But um, Dr. Thurborne what programs and services do you offer if people go to your website is that the best place I, I found a few um, different ones is it mindremappingacademy.com that's the that's best the place one. for people to go and what do you offer there
1: well so I a couple of different things I I do I do do some one-on-one work and uh, and so if someone is is stuck and they want to um, move past the stuck point, then you can, you know, right on the website, you can reach out. There are ways that you can book calls with me. You can book a free discovery call with me and we can talk through what might that look like. Um, if you're interested in learning about these tools to be able to use them in your life, then I do run NLP coach certifications up to master level coach. So if you're thinking, oh, you know what? I wanna be able to use this, whether you're gonna actually coach or whether you wanna take it to your organization in as a leader and maybe a coach inside of an organization, then um, you can contact me right on the website, schedule an interest call. Uh, and then finally, I do speak for organizations. I do work, um, I teach trauma-informed communication. I do work in the anti-racism, anti-oppression space. And so we we talk about uh, unconscious bias and, and I, we work with organizations in that capacity, for both training and consulting. Uh, So all of, all of you, all of this is available on the website. You can reach directly out to me. If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So those of, those of you who are listening and you're thinking, oh, maybe I want to bring her into my organization. LinkedIn is a, is a great way to, to kind of get a feel for who I am and what I do and my speaking and who I've worked with. Um, And then finally, I have a podcast called the black mind garden. And if you want to know more about this, you know, you want to learn more about how this work um, is applicable in all areas of life. And we talked a lot about the workplace today. We talked about personal growth and development, but I'm very passionate about this work as a parent and, um, how this work impacts our children and how this work can can really change the conversation for the next generation of, of children and make them more resilient and more emotionally intelligent and fluent. Um, so I talk a lot about that on the podcast as well. So it's called The Black Mind Garden, and it is available on Spotify and Apple and all your favorite podcast platforms. So if there's one um, action step that I would say that it would be Go join and listen to the podcast and learn all the things that you can learn. And then reach out to me when you're ready for me. I'm in whatever capacity I'm here.
0: This has been great, Dr. Claiborne. And I've put all the links to follow you in the show notes. You're everywhere. There, there's not one place that you aren't. You're <laughs> Pinterest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Facebook and and yeah, you are on LinkedIn. Thank goodness, because I'm on LinkedIn a lot. And that's where a lot of people send me messages. So um, definitely, I'll put all these links in the show notes for people to follow you. But is there anything as we close out here that you think we've missed or that we haven't touched upon that's important just to close out with? What would be some of your final thoughts for our listeners?
1: I think the, the, the biggest thing that I like for my listeners to take away is that you are the author of your life and you know anything that you want, you can create, anything that you want, you can achieve. And it's a matter of looking at where those blocks are and being willing to to tackle those head on and to be able to work with either yourself, a therapist, um, so just someone who can help you to move past those blocks, journaling, whatever tools that you have, um, work with those to be able to, to really understand and get that you're the author of your life and you're at the source of it and you have choices. And I think that's the most important thing.
0: Dr. Clairborn. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today and sharing your years of knowledge that goes into medicine and into the mind work you do and all the tools that you have to help empower us to improve ourselves at home in the workplace. And I just wanna thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure to be here and I love, 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 love the conversation.
0: Thank you. And I look forward to following you along the way and have a wonderful Friday and rest of your weekend.
1: You too. And I look forward to keeping in touch. Absolutely.